0: Hi, I'm Carrie Schmidt, and this is Making Sense, a podcast produced by the Star Institute in an effort to further our commitment to impacting quality of life by developing and promoting best practices for sensory health and wellness through treatment, education, and research. Occupational therapy best practices ask us to integrate knowledge into practice. On this season of Making Sense, each episode offers a different conversation aimed at translating the most current research into clinical action for occupational therapy practitioners. This season of Making Sense is dedicated to the memory of Janet Wright. Janet was an incredibly enthusiastic occupational therapist. If she were here today, she would have been one of the first to create and host a podcast where students, parents, and teachers could glean some practical information. She did not want OT knowledge to be abstract. She looked for it in everyday situations and in daily routines. Her family takes great pride in knowing that the Star Institute embraces the same passionate principles that guided Janet. As you listen and learn, keep her encouraging voice in the back of your mind and her infectious smile in your heart. Today, I'm joined by Virginia Spielman. Virginia is the executive director of Star Institute. She's a published author, international speaker, and has more than 20 years of clinical experience. She's passionate about the social model of disability, the neurodiversity movement, and how sensory integration theory informs our understanding of health and wellness. Virginia, thanks for being here today.
1: Thanks so much, Carrie. Thanks for having me.
0: So we have a new project at STAR, the the podcast. Um, I'd love to talk a little bit about um, STAR's vision and mission and how this format can support and promote that vision and mission.
1: Yeah, I'm pretty excited about this. I mean, one of the big things that we're passionate about um, is translating research to, into practice as fast as possible. Um, Star Institute is built on a platform of more than 40 years of research and that's, that's Dr. Lucy Miller's legacy um, and research is, is great and the research that they've produced at Star and with their scientific working group has changed the field, um, you know, in combination with research from other groups on sensory integration, but it can only actually change the field if we understand it and apply it. So that's one of the really exciting things about the podcast. Um, it's aimed specifically at clinicians, as you know, and um it re- it reminds me of that that piece of research that came out a few years ago and it was um written like a jeopardy question, and it was uh Um, 17 years, how long does it take for research to translate into practice? I've butchered the title, probably, but, um, you know, from the back of my brain, it was something like that. And so, you know, this was pre-social media, it was pre-podcasts, really, but that's how long it was taking for new evidence and empirical evidence to change practices. And obviously, that's a pretty long time, and it's pretty unacceptable. And so one of the things that's exciting about this is like we're giving people a little espresso cup of of research and what it means in the clinic and here you go on your way to work or here you go on your way home, let's just you know here's our here's our download for you, and we hope it is compelling and inspiring, and it galvanizes the therapists that listen to it to you know really remember why we do what we're doing, feel confident in it, um, and and a little bit of an energy boost. It's a little research espresso. That's, That's how I view it.
0: I love that. That's a great visual. In this first season, we decided to have conversations with the STAR faculty about something that they're interested in and curious about in current research and how they're translating that into practice. We all happen to be occupational therapists, and so this, these conversations definitely have been aimed at at clinicians at mm-hmm. how we take this um, research and how we translate that into practice. But what one of the also one of the common themes, and one of the things that occurs to me when we're talking about this, is um, a value that we all share at Star that makes these conversations pleasant and feel like that shot of espresso. And that is curiosity. Mm -hmm. We just approach everything we read with such curiosity about how we can um, not only think about this and, and further thought development in this field, but how can we take it to our clients? Um, And how can we share that curiosity with them
1: also? So Insatiable curiosity I think and I think that's one of the fun things about it but uh, you know what what happens is at STAR we we cultivate the organization we want and so we get to nurture our curiosity it's part of our practice it's part of our reflective supervision it's part of our journal clubs and it's part of this podcast I think you know, having experienced working in a big hospital myself in the earlier years of my career, and then in a in a busy pediatric assessment center and those sorts of environments in a special needs school, when you're, when you're not connected and plugged into somewhere like STAR that makes space and time for curiosity, you're socialized into an environment that's about productivity and outcomes predominantly, right, there isn't that balance, you know, we all, we all have productivity expectations, but balancing it out, and we're so lucky and privileged at STAR, and I think one of the things about this podcast is that we want to make a little bit of space for that, right, so here's a space to um, give you kind of uh, a, a little bit, so ask some questions, we're not just trying to give um randomized controlled trials like this is now this is now an evidence-based practice treatment effectiveness we will discuss those things but we're also going to look at research outside of occupational therapy and say hey they're talking about the same thing as us they're just using different words what does this mean it's going to lead to further questions and you know um i guess it reminds me of the concept of living life as inquiry that's that's kind of one of the this is this this is a space for that right so we're going to we're not just looking for confirmation bias here we're not just looking to prove that this is a thing or that's not a thing or you know every, but we're asking questions we're living life as inquiry and those questions lead us to deeper questions and we can make connections and we can be um, inspired to that um, systems knowledge that's so important to us at, at Star Institute, and I love that it was in the occupational therapy practice framework for as one of the contributors to the cornerstones of occupational therapy practice was micro and macro systems knowledge, and I think what you're going to do in this podcast is zoom out deep dive, zoom back in, zoom back in, hone in, hone in, zoom out. How are these things connected? What's happening here? What's happening next? Um, And so, yeah, I, I love, I love bringing it back to curiosity. That's, that's such a key pivotal piece here.
0: So one of the practices that we hold space for at STAR is reflective supervision. And you mentioned, we also value learning from Complementary fields. And so, one of the places that self reflection is used is infant mental health. Mm-hmm. We have mined that beautiful develop, thought development for how it supports what, how we understand sensory health is built from infancy forward. So, mm-hmm. talk a little bit about that. Talk a little bit about um, what we're learning by holding space for reflective supervision and by looking to other fields like infant mental health for how they can contribute to and also teach us something about how integral sensory integration is in health and wellness.
1: There's a couple of directions I could go with that. I think first, just to to speak to the reflective piece Um, Infant mental health is a multidisciplinary um, field, obviously very informed by mental health practices, and it's, I think, got the most um, well-developed, mature and uh, operationalized models for reflective practice and reflective supervision that I've seen um, across disciplines. Uh, what's beautiful about reflective practice in infant mental health and reflective supervision is that it safely makes space for the emotional content of our work without moving into counseling and like breaching those those boundaries between private uh, life and professional life there's some there's, there's wonderful resources available within the field and I do encourage people to look at, at that closer. Um, when you're looking at sensory integration and the development of sensory health in a client, you are looking at an aspect of human development that cannot be siloed out and treated in isolation because almost everything we do every day is a sensory event as well as something else. It's very, very hard to to find an activity that is only sensory or or not remotely sensory. It's, It's very hard. And so if we think about your morning this morning when you woke up, perhaps you woke up naturally Um, Perhaps you were woken up by an alarm, but as you came into your body and woke up, you were experiencing the integration of your eight open cross-modal sensory systems to create the big picture of where you were in your bed, in your house, in your street. You heard the sounds maybe of the garbage truck or the toaster popping and oh, that's early. Someone's already having breakfast. You smelt things, you felt your body. I have a weighted blanket. <laughs> I felt that on my body and didn't wanna move. Everything's a sensory event first. And so when we really look at sensory integration and processing, it we have to take into account the impact it has on every domain of human development and function Um, in pediatrics the primary occupations are formation of relationships and play and you also have your young clients developing their sense of who they want to be in the world and so you see the whole family you see a child, you see the whole family. And that's something we feel very strongly at Star is that you can't, you can no longer do the dry cleaning model of therapy once you start doing sensory integration. There is no drop-off, fix my child, I'll pick them up later. Because you're seeing an individual embedded in multiple systems, like a babushka doll, nested ecologies. And so that's why reflection is important, because you have to be able to zoom out and zoom in, and you have to notice and observe what's happening in the room. You need to be able to ask questions about those systems. And you also need to recognize the presence of emotion in almost everything you do. Feeling your body is fundamentally emotional and sensory. And so um, if we don't pay attention if we're not intentional about the emotions in the room, the emotions in the room will interfere with the work we're trying to do. We can't just say they're not welcome. Sorry, that's for the mental health office. And so that's, that's for, for us a huge piece. and And in infant mental health, there's this beautiful emphasis on the relationship um, in early development and how relationship is the, the engine for development, it is the driver of development. Um, it is the context of the caregiver-infant relationship that influences the brain architecture, helps the child develop the ability to regulate through co-regulation. Um, in helps them code the world around them what's safe what's anxiety provoking what's joyful and the, all of these things that I'm describing are at their very very core both sensory and emotional um, there's an article on self-reflection actually uh, on the significance of reflective supervision for infant mental health work it's by Patricia O'Rourke from Australia. And it has this section in it called the primacy of relationship and early development. And I think it's a really fun section for OTs to read because they don't actually call out sensory. But everything they mention is this duality of both sensory and emotion in in um these early relational exchanges. I'll just read a little bit. Okay. The primacy of relationship and early development. Infants are born relational with minds that are attuned to other minds. As Stern eloquently stated, babies' minds grow in the traffic with other minds. And within these interactions, their minds will be formed and maintained. Infants lacking in symbolic thought, lay down early experience in feeling states and relational procedures. And in this way, construct the foundations of their relational life. And I would say also their sense of self and their sense of agency. I love, I love that, it's just, it's, I think it's two long sentences or three, three sentences. And everything in there to me is sensory. I can see sensory woven all the way through it. I think it's, that's beautiful, beautiful writing. And there's so much
0: to respond to in it. What occurs to me is the primacy of sensation mm-hmm. in, that, in that statement, without it being mentioned, um, that none of that exists without a sensory experience for the infant or for the parent. Mm-hmm. Um, and how much the infant's sen- sensory experience informs the parents' reaction, mm-hmm. which drives the relationship, um, which, you know, is a beautiful circular relationship of regulation um, and response. And it so much of what you just expressed was a beautiful example of how micro and macro systems knowledge brings you further in your thought development and in your ability to apply it. You went from talking about how everything we experience in life, it has a sensory basis to zooming in, to take it to a very practical example of waking up in the morning. Mm
1: -hmm. right?
0: And um, you know, we happen to be occupational therapists practicing. And so we are looking to our practice framework to help us make sense of some of what we are finding out in clinical practice and in our reading. And you highlighted that it's it's a contribution um, to the cornerstones of our practice, this systems knowledge, but also how client-centered we need to be to be able to be attuned to. Yeah. The way that this works in the real world, um, in really works actually in development, works actually in the context of relationship, and um, it's a little bit of a tease. Everything that you said is something that we're going to talk about in this coming season, so I'm really excited. How perfect! I know, and I mean, <laughs> we didn't even plan that, but um, you know, just that we're going to talk about um, a term that Gil Foley coined called psychosensory. And it's this uh, inexorable relationship between emotion and sensation.
1: And, and yeah, I love that we I, we we've been talking about psychosensory. We've been talking about sensory affective, as if it's one word, right? And we've been talking about socio sensory, um, particularly thinking about those exchanges between the infant and the caregiver. But actually, think about it all the time, everywhere. You know, think, you know that that the sensory components of social exchanges, socio-sensory, the richness there of that piece. And I think, think again, that sort of emphasizes and speaks to the importance of, of, of this expertise that we have within the field. Occupational therapy is the home of sensory integration theory and sensory integration treatment as informed by AIR's research. And sensory integration theory has so much to offer our understanding of human development, our understanding of the the foundations of engagement, participation, and health for our clients. And um, I see, and one of the things that I think is going to be fun for you to explore in this podcast, you know, research on yoga, research on Um, horseback riding research on um, trampolines uh, from different disciplines. And I see them speaking to sensory without knowing what it is they speak to. And again, and again, and again, as I read those sorts of articles, I think about how the design of the study would have been different if they'd have had a comprehensive a uh, model of sensory integration to work from. You know, often in research, it's just about uh, arousal or modulation, the over-responsive child or the under-responsive child. And there's, there's so much more to it than that. Um, in order to access that intersubjective space between the infant and the caregiver, Okay, so we're thinking again about the psychosocial or the sensory affective or the sociosensory cues there, the importance of those for laying down the brain architecture. You have to be able to be modulated. You have to be, and the parent needs to understand if you're over-responsive, how to adjust their approach or under-responsive, right? It affects attunement, but you also have to be able to discriminate. You also have to be able to organize your eyes and your head and hold your head up against gravity and get enough breath into your lungs. You need to, as as you grow, be able to twist your trunk and have a dynamic base of support that's ready for action you need to be able to coordinate your body in such a way that you can learn baby sign language and then you can you know, later coordinate that oral motor area to produce speech. And there's just, do you see like the sensory pieces woven in every aspect there? And that, that sustained through the lifespan, the importance of sensation and sensory integration for health. Yes, and that's evidence-informed practice. Isn't that? That's
0: what it is. I mean, yeah. It and what evidence um, evidence informed practice allows for is, as a professional, an advancement in my clinical and professional reasoning. Um,
1: mm-hmm.
0: That I can bring that to my client centered practice, right? That I can
1: mm-hmm. think
0: think differently in my reasoning about the importance, like you're saying of sensation, not just in the infant, but through the lifespan. And I can bring mm-hmm. that to the, to the adolescent. And I can bring that to the infant. I can bring that to the parent. Um, as you were describing the motor development piece, um, there's an upcoming um, conversation with Renee Allen about exactly that, that, that motor development is embodied, mm. That is embedded in a culture. Um, that it is um, enabled in a, you know, in, again, in, in um, the ability to act on our environment. Right. So as an, again, as a little tease (laughs) for upcoming (laughs) conversations, um, you know, thank you. Thank you for the space that you hold for lifelong learning and for curiosity and for star being a safe place to ask questions. Um, I hope that that's, translates into this medium. And I hope that people, um, can hear how much we love to talk to one another, how much we love to, um, converse about these things, sometimes disagree on things, <laughs> but mm-hmm. always in an effort to further yeah. our, our, our development as therapists and our ability to impact the world with a vision for sensory health and wellness.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's kind of a requirement, isn't it? Asking questions to be at stand. So um, it'd be really interesting to see how that goes as this podcast develops. How can we make this a reciprocal conversation with the people listening? I think that's a, a lovely value to have and really important. I think, you know, I mean the, the field of embodied cognition and em- embodiment is such a good example of how there's a paradigm shift in our understanding of um, the importance of sensory integration and processing for health and wellness. And so other other disciplines are incorporating aspects of of the work, somatic processing is an example, embodied cognition is an example, moving to learn, and then you've got it woven into fields like interpersonal neurobiology and two person neurobiology, which is a new one that I learned about a while ago. And I think um, what's so interesting, again, is how rich the conversation could be if, as OTs, who are fun in our, in our core. <laughs> values fundamentally systems thinkers could could contribute to those conversations um, and and elevate the awareness of this domain it is as critical and fundamental a part of humans functioning as your respiratory system as your cardiovascular system and yet, when you start talking about the sensory systems, people's eyes glaze over. And so we still have work to do in, in like the health education domain, if you like, in, the, in that area. Um, we need to get better at talking about this. We need to get better at understanding it ourselves. We That means we have to practice. We have to talk to each other. We have to talk to our Uber driver. And and see, can I? How many minutes can I talk to my Uber driver before they show that I've overwhelmed them? How good am I at communicating this? My hairdresser, my dentist, you know, all these different people. Um, and so I, you know, I think this is an exciting time. I do think there's a paradigm shift, and what that what I mean by that is that a lot of people are realizing this at the same time right now. We're seeing it across disciplines with research papers empirical evidence um, we're seeing people try to boil it down and sell it in nice neat little packages and commercial packs on you know Facebook's got your sensory pack and it, it's not really a sensory pack you guys <laughs> and you know all these different things that and that's what I mean by a paradigm shift is like there's a readiness to understand this Uh, people are starting to talk about it, although perhaps not as robustly as we would like. So we have to speak up. And then conversely, there's still talking about the five senses in schools. And, you know, there's still a whole piece missing um, in the mainstream conversation.
0: There's a temptation to simplify it. And I think this conversation will hopefully... um offer an overlay of a theory on research mm-hmm. and, and then that research that's translated into practice and that it doesn't have to be oversimplified um, to be effective because that's a temptation. It's a temptation to um, to make it something so packaged and bottled that it's no longer a process. It's a single simple offering, right? Mm -hmm. So this keeping this conversation going, allowing people to hear how we think, how we um, have developed our thinking and how we read things with a sensory lens, right? Mm -hmm. A health and wellness lens. I'm just opening up that conversation and um, I can't wait for um, the development, I think it will be organic of, like you said, this becoming a two-way conversation because we would love to bring people into the conversation and help them understand the nuance that we see um through our thoughts. And that
1: we seek. Yeah. We see. I and we seek. I, th- I think we I think we for us it's a red flag. And in fact, I've I've told some families in the past, if someone tells you they have the the one thing that's gonna make all the difference. You know, I would counsel skepticism and I think it's the same for us as OTs. You know, there isn't one exercise program. Human beings are complex. And as we said at the beginning, complex individuals made up of systems that are openly influencing one another, bi-directional in the way that they interact. So you take this complicated human being and then you consider the ecology within which they live, the family, the classroom, the community. And then the. The culture and the politics and the availability of healthcare and transport and all these different things. You know, how can we. Be cautious if anyone ever tells you they found the one thing <laughs> that's going to help every client. And instead, like let's embrace and celebrate this this bullet point on page six of the of the occupational therapy practice framework four, which talks about OTs as embracing micro and macro systems knowledge. I think occupational therapy is the place where it's at for systems thinking. I think embracing complexity and comfort. With complexity, is, it's our, it's our bag, it's our jam, it's like where it's you know it's where we're most comfortable, and so yeah, I agree with you. I hope that conversations like this, again, like galvanize and inspire us towards that.
0: I love that. Thank you. Yeah, so let's start, um, kind of thinking about wrapping this conversation up we are so excited um, as an institute as star institute to launch this new project and we are eager for the conversation to continue um i'm asking every guest in the series and so you will be the first to just tell me something that you personally are curious about right now it can be something that you're reading more about or um Really, I'm just looking for that little spark, something that's super interesting to you right now.
1: I am absolutely having my mind blown open by the book, The Honor Code. It's called The Honor Code, How Moral Revolutions Happen. I've been very interested in scientific revolutions and Kuhn's work for for years. And that's where all the talk about paradigm shifts come from. But thinking about a scientific revolution embedded in a moral revolution, fireworks, my brain's exploding. It's by Kwame Anthony Appiah, and he's wonderful. He's um, a British Ghanaian philosopher and cultural theorist, and it goes through the sort of history in an an analytical way of, of past moral revolutions. So it looks at Um, dueling, the duel, and it even talks a little bit about Alexander Hamilton and how the duel, there was this, there was this realization that it was a morally questionable practice (laughs) that needed to be um, left behind if we were to progress. And they also talk, he also talks about foot binding and some other things. Um, and for me, that's so relevant to our time. And you, you said at the beginning, I'm, I'm a very passionate about the social model of disability and the neurodiversity movement. And I think we have right now the potential for a scientific revolution and a moral revolution to be occurring at a similar time in a similar way as we question how we treat our neighbours and children and colleagues and family members who have neurodivergent brains and who experience and process the world differently. And so that's that's my big, fun um, read at the moment. I read it, I actually listen to it on Audible while I'm on the treadmill because social isolation is so fun. So, yeah, that's I guess that's what I'll leave you with. How how uh, typical of me, Carrie, to leave you with possibly a bigger question. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's what I love about you. You leave me with a bigger question. Um, but more than that, you leave Reliably <laughs> confounding. <laughs> you leave me, that's great. You leave me um, with my own curiosity sparked um, with your um, interest in how things work and how to make life better for people is contagious. and thank you for that. I thank you for your leadership. Um, thank you for the way that you model um, and promote sensory health and wellness. Um, you live our vision, and I truly appreciate it.
1: Well, Carrie, thank you. Thanks for having me, and thanks for creating this space, um, you know, out of, out of love and passion for other OTs to, to hear. These discussions that we have. I, I really appreciate the time and passion that you've poured into this project. Thank you.
0: You can find me, Carrie Schmidt, on Instagram at Carrie Schmidt OTD. That's C A R R I E S C H M I T T O T D. The STAR Institute is a nonprofit organization. You can find out more about us at our website, sensoryhealth.org. That's wwwsensoryhealt There you can join our email list, find out about our educational, clinical, and research endeavors, and make a donation. This podcast wouldn't be possible without our wonderful guests and the support from the STAR Institute, especially Crystal Hayes and Tori Pluchek. Your feedback matters to us. Please leave a review, subscribe, And share this podcast with your friends. This is Making Sense. I'm Carrie Schmidt.